Previously, in Series 7 of Hornet Heaven. I hate 1977. The most important thing at a football club is the owner's vision, and Elton John has none. And yet it's hard to imagine how things could actually get worse for our beloved club. I'm afraid there's bad news, Mr Sergeant, sir. The turnstiles taking us to random matches, which means we may never see a new Watford game again, sir. It's a double whammy. The club's malfunctioning down there, and Hornet Evans malfunctioning up here. What if 1977-78 is the start of something big? If the turnstile ain't fixed, we'll miss it. There. One turnstile properly mended. Blow me neck! What's that clown McBain done to the turnstile now? We're not even in a football stadium. Hornet Heaven, Series 7, Episode 3, Losing Everything. Written by Ollie Wicken, read by Colin Mace. Earth Season, 1976-77. Derek Garston and Fred Pagnum were on a long, straight, wide road. The road surface was unpaved, churned up by cartwheels and the feet of livestock. Recent rain had made it a slurry of mud, cowpats and sheep droppings. Old, low buildings bordered the road, with courts and alleys between them. Signs for taverns and alehouses hung outside what seemed like every third building. Blah! The stench of alcohol is terrible, Mr Pagnum, sir. Reminds me of the Orm dressing room before matches in my day. The road was busy. People in drab, filthy-looking clothes were hurrying out of their overcrowded houses and heading in one direction. Derek and Paggy followed the crowd to see what was happening. I reckon this is Watford Town Centre, lad. What year do you think it is? Sometime in the first half of the 19th century, I would imagine, Mr Pagnum, sir. Eh? But Henry didn't start up Watford Rovers until 1881. How come the ancient turnstile has brought us here? Does football even exist? Peggy got his answer a short distance down the muddy high street. Near St Mary's Church, the road was blocked by hundreds of people brawling. They were shoving and kicking each other, throwing each other to the ground. Hooligans! Football must exist. These aren't hooligans, Mr Pagnum, sir. They're players. Paggy saw a young man emerge from a pile-up of bodies holding a ball. He was immediately hacked to the ground. Blimey, Roger Jocelyn would be in his element. The young man, clinging tight to the ball, disappeared beneath a tide of boots and bodies. I think this is what we'd now call folk football, Mr Pagnum, sir. It occasionally sprang up on public holidays. It doesn't bear much resemblance to what we've been seeing in 1977, Mr Pagnum, sir. You can say that again. Steve Sherwood 
definitely wouldn't have hung on to the ball as well as that lad just did. Peggy and Derek watched for a little longer, but the ball didn't make any progress towards wherever the goals might be. Peggy observed that the game was as stuck in the mire as Watford Football Club was in 1977. They headed back the way they'd come. The turnstile still needed fixing. Freddie Sargent was waiting on Occupation Road when Derek and Paggy emerged from the ancient turnstile. So, has McBain made a success of fixing things? Are you seriously using the words McBain and success in the same sentence? Oh, God. What's the problem this time? To answer the question precisely, Derek fetched a selection of programmes from the hut. One programme at a time, he went back and forth through the turnstile. On each occasion, he spotted something that suggested to him the date of what he was seeing. Eventually, he said, Right, I think I've worked it out, Mr Sergeant, sir. The turnstile now takes us to football that was happening 96 years before the date on the programme. Freddie did some quick mental arithmetic, subtracting 96 from 1977. You mean we can only watch football from before 1881? Before Henry founded the club? Correct, Mr Sergeant, sir. It's almost as if Mr Pagnum's wish has come true. Eh? What wish? Don't you remember, Mr Pagnum, sir? You said that if Mr McBain buggered up Horned Evan even worse, you'd be wishing Watford Football Club had never existed, Mr Pagnum, sir. Did I? Well, I didn't mean it. But it's effectively come true, Mr Pagnum, sir. Right now, in terms of the games we can see in Hornet Heaven, there's no such thing as Watford Football Club. Freddy stared at Derek in horror. Events had obviously spiralled out of control. No such thing as Watford Football Club. Oh, God. Suddenly, Freddy was feeling out of his depth. All he'd wanted to do by getting McBain to tamper with the turnstile in the first place was annoy the alderman and take him down a peg or two. But the consequences were proving terrible and getting worse with every attempted fix. Now, thanks to him, everyone in Hornet Heaven was completely cut off from their club. Freddy hurried away up Occupation Road. He needed to make amends. Not long later, Derek and Paggy arrived back at the programme hut. Paggy sat down at the table and stared bleakly at the Socorama board. The league system it represented was currently invisible to everyone in Hornet Heaven because the ancient turnstile was taking people too far back in time. Paggy sighed. I never thought I'd say this, but I'd be happy to see us in Division 4. As Derek put away the programmes he'd used for testing the turnstile, he saw the Lucky Dip Trips sign that they'd had to take down. A thought struck him. Oh, uh, what about this for an idea, Mr Pagnum, sir? We could take people on guided tours through the turnstile to what was happening before 1881. You don't usually get that chance in Hornet Heaven. People would love it, Mr Pagnum, sir. 
But there weren't even a league in them days. The football will be absolute twad. In which case, it'll cheer everyone up. What? How? By making Watford's football this season seem better by comparison, Mr Pagnum, sir. No thanks, lad. If there's a quality of football that makes our 1-0 defeat at Hartlepool this season look world-class, I really don't want to see it. Come on, Mr Pagnum, sir. It'll be fun. Let's put up a sign advertising Magical Ancient History Tours. Freddie Sargent found Neil McBain and sacked him as his handyman. I'm sacked again. That's 1937, 1959 and 1977. Each one fully deserved. Freddie went looking for someone else who could solve the problem. On Occupation Road, he bumped into Johnny Allgood. Johnny was a man who'd been brilliant at many things at the highest level. Football, cricket, bowls, even curling. Freddie asked, I don't suppose you could fix a turnstile, could you? I'm afraid not, Freddie. I was fine at sport, but I wasn't nearly so good at anything else. When I first left school, I became an iron turner, and an iron turner? Well, that's perfect. The turnstile's made of iron, and it turns. You'll be able to get it turning properly. That's not what iron turning is, Freddy. It doesn't matter. This is an emergency. Watford Football Club doesn't exist in Hornet Heaven. What? What are you... We need your skills. You've got to come with me. Down by the turnstile, Johnny Allgood lay on his back beneath the high-tech mechanism and stared up at it. Freddy said... I remember when you made us invincible in your first season as manager. It was like you had a magic touch. Go on. Just lay your hands on the turnstile. Johnny slid out and stood up. Sorry, Freddy. It's not my talent. I daren't touch it. Freddy's brow knitted with worry. Have a go. Please. It's like every single Watford game is behind closed doors at the moment. You've got to try. It would be irresponsible of me. Oh, God. I don't know what to do. I've ruined all it, heaven. It's all on me. Um, follow me, everyone. Follow your leader. Freddy turned to see Derek walking down Occupation Road, holding a programme high above his head. He was being followed by Paggy and a small group of Watford fans. The group stopped when they reached Freddie and Johnny. Hello, Mr Sergeant, sir. And Mr Orchard, sir. Would you like to join us on our magical ancient history tour? Forget all that, boy. I've got to find a way to fix a turnstile. I've got to get everyone their club back. Johnny Orchard saw the stress on Freddie's face and thought the OBE-winning organiser could probably do with a short break. He said, Sounds interesting, Derek. Where are you going? 
This programme from April 1960, at home to Gateshead, Mr Allgood, sir, will take us somewhere historically fascinating 96 years earlier. But what's the point, boy? It won't have anything to do with Watford Football Club. I've let everyone down. I've put Watford Football Club out of reach. Johnny decided Freddy definitely needed a break. He gently took Freddy's arm and said, Two please, Derek. Derek's tour group arrived on the other side of the turnstile. They found themselves on the edge of a meadow. Paggy said, Hey, did you pack us a picnic, lad? Freddy Sargent said to Johnny Allgood, Look what I've done to all it, Evan. The Gateshead game was a 5 nil win. Now it's just empty cross. Johnny put a consoling arm round Freddy. Then Derek began the spiel he prepared for the guided tour. Right, ladies and gentlemen, if you look across the fields over there, you'll see Watford Junction Station. The fact that the station recently opened in 1858 roughly dates what we're about to see. In the centre of the meadow, some men started to erect wooden posts for goals. Soon, an organised game of football began, though it didn't look much like the football the tour group knew. Derek pointed out there were no pitch markings, no crossbars, no goalkeepers, no referee and no punishments for infringements. Players were allowed to catch the ball with their hands. In these days, the rules stated that any player ahead of the ball would be offside, resulting in kick-and-rush tactics. Freddy thought the football was much uglier than anything he'd seen in 1977. Even Pat Malloy was easier on the eye than this, he reckoned. He said... Sorry, everyone. It's my fault you're having to watch this kick and rush rubbish. A fan from the group replied, Well, I suppose it does make you appreciate the style of football we played under Mike Keane. Derek looked towards Paggy and winked. The tour was having the effect of making people appreciate 1977 more. Just as he predicted. It was going to be a resounding success. As they all headed back to the ancient turnstile, the fan said, Gold, imagine if the manager who replaces Mike Keane brings back kick and rush. Everyone will hate it. Soon, the group were moving on to the next game on the tour. They had programmes from December 1967. They arrived in a different meadow. Derek said, This time we're just off Langley Road. It's 1871. There are goalkeepers now, and you'll notice that the goalposts are joined by a length of string across the top. Freddy Sargent stood and stared. All of a sudden, he wasn't feeling stressed anymore. He was feeling nostalgic. Blimey. I remember playing goals like this for Clarendon in 1874. I'd forgotten the days before solid crossbars. 
the match kicked off. One of the players hit a long-range shot, which went just over the goal, but only because the opponent's goalkeeper had pulled the string across the top a bit lower. Cheeky blighter. I remember that happening in my matches too. Paggy pointed at the team in white shirts, white knickerbockers and black socks. Who's this team then, Freddy? Do you recognise them? I do, as a matter of fact. It's Hertfordshire Rangers. Eh? What have they got to do with Watford? How come the ancient turnstile has brought us to see them? Hertfordshire Rangers were based in Watford, Mr Pagnum, sir. They were the town's first major team, before Watford Rovers were. And I played for them. From 1880 until they disbanded in 1882. You played for this bunch? By heck, I never knew that. Do you recognise any of the players? I do. That one over there was a great player. Bob Barker. Crikey, Mr Sergeant, sir. I've read about him. He played for England in the first ever international football match in 1872. Derek felt pleased with himself for knowing this fact. But announcing it got a reaction he wasn't expecting. Paggy said, What? You mean Hertfordshire Rangers had a player good enough to be chosen for England? And Watford Football Club still never have? More than a century later? Derek grimaced. This wasn't making people appreciate 1977 more. Blow me neck, that's depressing. We're useless. I'd love to see a Watford player in an England shirt, but there's no chance. Derek didn't like where this was going. He knew it was pushing things a bit, but he argued back. Don't speak too soon, Mr Pagnum, sir. For all we know, we might have a promising youngster on our books who could improve and play for England. I quite like the look of that 18-year-old who scored on his full debut last season, Luther Blissett. He hasn't started another game since. He can't even make the side in Division 4. <laughs> Luther Blissett playing for England? Don't be daft, lad. Derek fell silent, disheartened. Freddy, though, was remembering his playing days with the team they were all watching. He said, When I was with Hertfordshire Rangers, we were one of the top teams in the country. We reached the third round of the FA Cup in 1881. We were only beaten by one of the eventual finalists. Huh? Well, you can't say Watford are a top team. This season we reached the third round of the FA Cup and got beaten by Northwich Victoria. The words Northwich Victoria cast a sudden chill on the occasion. The whole group stood in silence and cast their minds back to January's humiliation. It had been the lowest low of Watford's dreadful 1976-77 season. Northwich effing Victoria. Derek was upset his tour was ending on a low point. It didn't help when Freddie said, To be fair, joining Watford Rovers was a bit of a come down for me. They weren't at the same level as Hertfordshire had been. And by my reckoning, they still aren't. 
1977, Watford are doing worse than a team that played in the town when goals didn't have proper crossbars yet. The group stood in silence again, contemplating this thought. Eventually, Derek said, I want to go home now. Meanwhile, Henry Grover and the alderman were sitting together in the semi-darkness of the subterranean supporters' club bar. Jack Gran was playing mood music on the piano again. The alderman wasn't familiar with the song being played, Don't Let the Sun Go Down On Me, but he reflected that it was definitely easier on the ear than what he'd heard sung most often on the terraces during the 1976-77 season. That had been, Keen out! Keen out! He stared at the sticky floor beneath his robes. Word had reached himself and Henry that the only football available behind the ancient turnstile was from before 1881. It felt as though Watford Football Club had been taken from him. It hurt. It hurt because he was the man who'd saved the club from extinction in its early days. It hurt because he regarded a football league club as his personal legacy to the town. And it hurt because, in Hornet Heaven, Watford Football Club was the only thing that mattered to him. It was as if the sole reason for his afterlife had been extinguished. In the gloom of the bar, as Jack Grant played the piano, he sat and imagined the eternal sunshine of Hornet Heaven fading to nothing. He muttered to himself, Losing everything is like the sun going down on me. Soon, Henry and the alderman weren't the only figures slumped in their chairs in the bar. The whole tour group joined them. For a long while, they all sat with bleak thousand-mile stares. Freddy Sargent felt particularly bad. It was his fault that no one could watch Watford and that 1976-77 was their most recent memory. But he had no idea how to resolve the disastrous situation he'd created. Eventually, Paggy said, So, is this it then? For the rest of eternity, sitting around with no Watford to watch. Actually, Mr Pagnum, sir, things are going to improve, albeit slowly. As time progresses... We will start to see Watford games one by one. Ninety-six years after they actually happened, Mr Pagnum, sir. Freddy picked up on this small crumb of comfort. So we will get to see next season. Just a bit late. Yes, Mr Sergeant, sir. If you call the year 2073 a bit late, Mr Sergeant, sir. 2073? Oh, God. Everyone slumped deeper into their chairs. Several of them whimpered. The alderman said, Good grief! You mean I've got to wait nearly a century to see Elton John turfed out of the club? We hoped we were going to see him gone this afternoon against Darlington, didn't we, Henry? Henry didn't answer. He had his head in his hands. I'm so sorry, everyone. This is all my fault. If I hadn't founded the club in the first place, 
None of us would be in this situation. Freddy stood up. He wasn't prepared to let the father of the club assume any kind of blame. Nah, Henry. I'm sorry. This is my mess. I'm to blame. We're all grateful you founded the club. What you did inspired... Freddy paused. He'd suddenly had a thought. He rushed out of the bar. A short while later, after a quick piece of research, he returned with an armful of programmes to the previous week's game at Swansea. He said, Come on, everyone. I want to show you something. Freddy Sargent led the group through the ancient turnstile. This is exciting. Uh, where are we going, Mr Sergeant, sir? They arrived on the other side. All they could see was rolling parkland. Where the hell is this? Emery gazed at the verdant sweep of the vista before them. It was dotted with carefully placed clusters of trees. The father of the club smiled and said, I recognise this place. It was designed in 1805 by the renowned landscape artist Humphrey Repton. It was part of the Earl of Essex estate. 1805? Well, that's not 96 years ago. Ah, but the estate still looked like this towards the end of the 19th century, before it became a public space as Cassabry Park. Freddy tried to whip up some enthusiasm. He said, It's Cassabry Park, everyone. Surely you haven't forgotten what happened here. I haven't. It's where Mike Keane held his training sessions this season and turned decent players into rubbish ones. Actually, Paggy, what Freddy means is that Cassabry Park is where I first got a group of my pals together for a kickabout in 1881. In fact, I say, look, here I come now. Everyone watched as a teenage version of Henry strolled up. He was carrying a brand new football he'd bought. Wow, look at you, Mr Grover, sir. You're not much older than me. Oh, dear, that leather jerkin I'm wearing is frightfully dull. I really ought to address more flamboyantly for such an auspicious occasion. Auspicious? How is a kickabout in the park auspicious? Freddy was surprised Paggy didn't seem to know the club's origin story. He said, Because it's the start of the football club we know and love today. This is the 1881 kickabout that gave birth to Watford Rovers, which became Watford Football Club. Exactly, Freddy. This is it. The moment I founded the club. Freddy took the group closer to the kickabout. They sat beneath a tree. Freddy was pleased with how Henry was reacting to the trip, but the alderman's mood didn't seem to have improved. Such innocent days, alderman. Small boys, jerkins for goalposts. 
I'm not interested in nostalgia, Henry William. What I need to see is Elton John leaving our club in 1977. Rush goalie, arguing about whether the ball went in, slide tackling into dogma. No, thank you, Henry William. This isn't for me. I ran a professional club professionally. Frankly, it's embarrassing that the club I took into the football league started as a lark in a park. Freddy said, But this was the start of everything, Alderman. What I'm watching is worse than amateur. It's a stain on my reputation to be associated with it. Under my leadership, we actually achieved something. Status. Respect. Freddy didn't want the alderman's mood to affect the others, so he said, Here, alderman, have you noticed? That young lad on the ball over there is Charlie Peacock. The alderman knew Charlie Peacock very well. The teenager here in the park had gone on to play nearly 200 games for Watford Rovers and had later become an important figure in the town as the proprietor of the Watford Observer. The alderman and Charlie Peacock had chinked sherry glasses at many a civic reception. Ooh, that's Charlie. As a teenager. Good old Charlie. Come on, everyone. Let's go even closer. The visitors from Hornet Heaven walked across the grass all the way into the middle of the kickabout, which continued, oblivious to their presence. Soon, there was a break in play, and the teenaged Henry Grover went over to speak to Charlie. The Hornet Heaven contingent heard the young Henry say, Right then, Charlie, next goal wins it. The young Charlie replied, Wins what, Henry? Well, Obviously, I'd love to be playing for the FA Cup, old chum, but we'll have to leave that to Hertfordshire Rangers, for the moment, anyway. For the moment? You mean, you think we could make ourselves good enough one day? If we carry on getting together like this and form a team, why not? Imagine it, Charlie, lifting the FA Cup high above our heads to a cheering crowd. Count me in, Henry. Let's keep practising and improving. Excellent! And as for today's game, old thing, next goal wins an imaginary FA Cup. The visitors from Hornet Heaven stood back and watched the final moments of the 1881 kickabout. The young Henry was determined to score the final goal. Soon, he won possession, barged his way past two challenges and smashed the ball between the jerkins on the ground. He jumped up and down with his arms aloft, Goal! Henry Grover has won the FA Cup for, uh, oh, um, oh, I don't know, um, Watford something. Uh, uh, Watford Rovers. The Victorian teenager clenched his fists in front of him, as if gripping something. Then he raised them into the air, lifting an imaginary FA Cup. Immediately, the young Henry was joined by his friends, and future Watford Rovers teammates. They swarmed round him, cheering exuberantly. They all reached up to grab a shared handle 
of the imaginary trophy. The Henry Grover from Hornet Heaven, watching all this, wiped a tear from his eye and said, This is what I started this football club for. Freddy Sargent saw that the aldermen, Derek and Paggy, were quite moved too. His plan to inspire them was working. I never knew you had such ambition at the start, Henry William. You've definitely shown far more than Elton John ever has. Good for you. And, of course, your dream could still come true one day. Yes, the alderman's right, Mr Grover, sir. 1977-78 could be a whole new beginning. You never know what might happen, Mr Grover, sir. Well, we'll definitely never know if we stay here and don't get the turnstile fixed. Come on, Henry, let's go back and watch your club finally hit the heights. Absolutely, gentlemen. We've got unfinished business. Henry clenched his fists in front of him, as if gripping something. I want to see someone, anyone... Even Elton John, Alderman, win my club. The 83-year-old raised his fists high in the air. The FA Cup! Freddy led everyone back through the ancient turnstile. He was pleased he'd inspired everyone by taking them back to watch the original Watford Rovers kickabout but he still wasn't sure how the turnstile would actually get fixed. Suddenly, Henry took off his Victorian coat and said, Right, it's time the father of the club got his hands dirty. Henry clambered underneath the turnstile's mechanism. It looked very high-tech to someone born in the 1860s, but he gave it a few tweaks. As Henry worked, Freddy said to the others, I'll be so relieved when we get our club back. I can't wait, Mr Sergeant, sir. I want watching Watford to be just like Soccerama. I want to feel like every match is taking us forward, Mr Sergeant, sir. I want us to race up the divisions, Mr Sergeant, sir. I want us to reach the two red squares at the top of Division 1, Mr Sergeant, sir. Don't forget winning the FA Cup, young man. Absolutely, Mr Grover, sir. I don't mind how we reach Europe, as long as we do. Europe. Imagine. They all stood quietly, in wondrous contemplation of the notion that Watford Football Club might play even a single game in European competition. The alderman, though, felt compelled to add a note of caution. That's all very well, but our dream can only come true when Elton John has buggered off. Ideally this afternoon, against Darlington. In time, Henry got back to his feet. There, I think I've finally fixed the turnstile. Derek, could you run and get some programmes to test the mechanism? Derek rushed to the hut and back. Here we are, Mr Grover, sir. In readiness for our glorious future, I've chosen the match where we beat the biggest team we've ever beaten. 
I've got programmes for Liverpool at home in the FA Cup in 1970. Derek ran to the turnstile. Freddie Sargent and Johnny Allgood decided to stay on Occupation Road, just in case things didn't turn out as planned. But Henry, Paggy and the Alderman followed Derek through. On the other side, they did arrive at Watford versus Liverpool at Vicarage Road. But none of them had seen this Watford versus Liverpool before. The Alderman said, What have you done, Henry William? This match isn't in Watford's history. What in heaven's name is going on? End of episode three. The story will conclude in series seven, episode four. Next time, in the series seven finale of Hornet Heaven. But today feels like it could be a new beginning for Hornet Heaven with amended turnstile and for Watford Football Club with this game against Darlington. It feels like the start of the future. I bloody love you, Elton John. <laughs> I bloody love you, Elton Hercules bloody John. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wickham. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wickham. <laughs> <laughs>